The Weird, Wacky, Wonderful Stories podcast is now proud to be part of the Low Tree Studios podcast network. To enjoy more great podcasts like this one, head along to lowtreestudios.com. Before we get started with today's show, I just want to take a moment to say thank you to all of the people who've donated to our GoFundMe for Bella. It really means a lot to us that you care enough to give. It really, really does. And it will certainly not be forgotten. Uh, For those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, or for those who would like to give, then there is a link in the show notes. Check it out. And it's also on our website, www.weirdwackywonderful.co.uk. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Weird, Wacky, Wonderful Stories podcast with your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 87 of the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Hi everybody. We're going to go straight into the interview today, but before we go any further, I do want to say stay on until the end, listen right to the end today, because you will learn how you can get your hands on a signed copy of the book that we're going to be discussing. On this episode, we'll be talking to one of the country's most prominent UFO researchers at the moment. He's a man who's not been content with armchair research and in fact has put himself in danger at times to get more information on the subject. He's joined us from his home in Yorkshire in the UK today to talk about his newly released book, Night People. Please welcome to the show, Paul Sinclair. Hi, Paul. Hi, Paul. Hi, Shelley. Hi, Bella. Great to be chatting with you guys again and... uh... Hope we can cover a bit of ground and I'll just leave it to you to direct me where you want to go with this. Yeah, well, first of all, before we get started, I have to say that you are one of our most requested guests. Whenever you come on, we get more comments. Definitely loved by our listeners, that's for sure. It's a great pleasure to have you on the show again. Oh, thank you very much. And uh, that goes out to your listeners as well. It's uh, it's it's difficult to know what I'm doing, but... Uh, All I'm doing is speaking the truth as best way I can, uh, whether it's my own or other people's. And the amount of information that's coming to me this last year in particular is is overwhelming. But it must be because when I give somebody my word that I won't use their first name or second name, if if that's what what they require, and I won't discuss it with other people, they know that's what they're going to get. Likewise, I love using people's first names because it adds more validity to an account. But uh, there's got to be reasons, and I'm just grateful. Well, I think think one of the biggest reasons is that people can associate with you, and also you are, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but you're the common man. You're not this big, unreachable person. You make yourself available to people, and you tell a story in a way that, we would tell a story if we were both sat in the pub together having a chat. And I think that's what people can associate and resonate with. Yeah, I don't see anything disrespectful in that. I don't mind being the common man, as you say, because uh, (laughs) that's basically what I am. Uh, But, I mean, it's like we've got four girls, and it's like I've always told our girls when, you know, from from as early as I can remember, everybody is as good as everyone else. And, if you know, if if I'm sort of speaking, conversing with somebody who's who's of a much higher intellect, on a, on another level, he's at the end of the day, he's just a man or he's a woman. He's, he's and 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 somebody 
somebody who's, who's, shall we say, is not quite as switched on. They're just as important. Every, everybody's got some element that's a quality that's endearing and We've just got to treat everybody with same respect. Obviously, if they don't treat you with respect, they're going to get that back from me as well. But, <laughs> you know, most of the time I'd, I'd switch off from negativity. But, yeah, it's, it's good. It's good. I'm surrounded with some amazing people. And there's researchers out there equally as good as me that are just happy just to do the research and not talk like we're doing today, Shelley. You know, that's just how it is. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, today we're going to be focusing on your new book, which is Night People. I have to say that, first of all, just looking at the cover itself, the cover is is beautiful. I mean, it, it really looks good. The book drew me in straight away. We've spoken about this before, Bella and I. Bella can consume a book in half a day. She's a really good reader. <laughs> she reads it once and she takes it in, and Bryce is the same. I, on the other hand, was always told as a kid when I went up to bed, you can read before you go to sleep. And so I now, I guess, subconsciously associate reading with sleep. So when I start to read, I invariably get tired and then and then start to fall asleep. Not with your book. <laughs> not with your book. I did not want to fall asleep. It was really good. And there's definitely some a lot of food for thought in there, which is what we're going to be discussing today. So the book starts from a young age it starts from where you were growing up can you describe that area that you were growing up to our listeners please yeah yeah it was south yorkshire uh, in the united kingdom for anybody that might be listening overseas i lived in a little village called old denaby and there was a, a bigger mining community probably two to three miles away Denaby, Denaby, Maine. And from my bedroom windows, as I've discussed in Night People or, or written in Night People, you could see the town of Mexborough. And that's where I went to school. Obviously, well, I went to old Denaby School, a, a Church of England school to start with in the village. And there were only at times 22 pupils, 28 pupils. It were really close and a close knit community. And it was a wonderful time to be to be growing up, or, or at least I thought it was. I still look back at part of it with fond memories, and I hope in Night People I've sort of painted a picture of 60s and 70s because it, I've not just wrote about the, some of the experiences, and most of them were, weren't very nice. I've also wrote about good times and what it was like as a young child, be it boy or girl, growing up in that era. And I hope it sort of touches a nerve with some people. Uh, that was my intention when I was putting it across anyway. Can you tell us about what happened to you on New Year's Eve in 1970? Yeah, yeah, that that I'm so pleased. I, I must admit that chapter was going to be set back because, as you know, Bella, after reading Night People, it sort of runs through life from the earliest beginnings to, to now, to present day, yeah. or as close as we can get to it. But uh, thanks to Don Lodge, who's helped me edit the book and, and put, you know, he's put a lot of his time and effort into correcting my bad spelling and punctuation I've got to add and he's, he's really helped me he said we you know let's let's put that chapter at the beginning because it, it, you know it's impacting and I th- and it, it was good I'm glad he did so to jump to it it was New Year's Eve that my mum and dad they were members of a social club called Dale and Brown Sports Club in Swinton which would be probably don't quote me on this I know it'll be in the book but it'll be five or six miles away my might not be quite that, but it probably sent like 20 miles to a little boy. And because it was Christmas, New Year's Eve, they, they threw parties. There were two or three parties a year, and it was a time of sort of great excitement for me. I can remember my dad getting ready and my mum, and we, we went to club and the sort of food on, you know, buffet type food, and all adults are in good spirits. We'd walked because 
obviously my dad's going to come back and it's it's New Year's Eve. He's had too much to drink, if you know what I mean. He's not falling <laughs> her down everywhere, but it's, it's just good time. I and mean, everybody had, had a great time and it was absolutely white over with snow, you know, very frosty on the feet. This is on the journey back after. So we're on, we're into New Year's Day. We, we're walking through Mexborough, walking along what's called Church Street. Incidentally, I was actually born on Church Street and there's an incident in book from there, but uh, we'll carry on. We're walking along. I, I, I can remember so many things, you know, echo of the snow or the ice crunching under your feet as you're walking and all sorts of things. And we, we turned then onto Ferryboat Lane. From there, we have to cross the bridge of the canal. And from there, we go on to cross the bridge that crosses the River Don. The canal bridge is, was, was at the time fairly new and it were concrete. But the River Don Bridge were quite special for me or special for a child because it was it were a cast, it were an iron bridge mm. uh, with sort of iron sheets to walk on as well. So when you ran along it, it really clanged and banged. You could really make an impression. And <laughs> obviously, there's sort of steel meshing up at the side so you couldn't have fallen in but I used to run along this bridge you could hear river don crashing over at rocks below and run along and bang 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 and waiting for me dad it was it was it was a fabulous night because you could see well as well because of the snow a lovely clear night and the land was white so we we come to the crossings. I stood at the brow of the crossings, looking onto old Denneby. you could see all street lights and we lived in a little council house I think there were about 12 in this row because most of people in old Denneby they were quite affluent and they had everybody had their own houses but as I said we didn't and uh, we're looking down we're not we're not far from home now we're probably 20 20 minutes from home it's we're, we're on last stretch and uh, I don't know what time it would be it might be one o'clock in the morning it might have been half past who's gonna say when you're that age but as I as I look down Ferryboat Lane and there's the YB pond to the right of me, and there's there's marshland and, and fields to the left. On the edge of the grass, there's two rabbits and a guinea pig. I can, it's unmistakable. You can, and I'm looking at them, and I'm, I'm sort of, my instant thoughts what I'm having these. I want them. You know, just a little boy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and not for anything cruel. I wanted them. We'd, at home, I'd got this great big rabbit hutch and we'd got this rabbit in it. And, uh, it, you know, I always looked after it. My dad made me clean it and my dad made me feed it and everything. But I'm having these. These are, this is like Christmas. It, 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 it's pardon the pun. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. So anyway, suddenly I couldn't, we couldn't hear River Don. But I was so consumed with looking at these these animals that, I sort of lost track of that, but it was like you were in a, a little bubble. There's so many analogies you try to add to these things, Shelley, because there's nothing to explain it. I was speaking to somebody the other day, and just to digress for a minute, I said it's almost like if you were under ocean diving and you'd gone into the, um, a big sunken ship and then used your air, oxygen, your air, to blast all the water out, and you're just in that environment with the sea around you. It, mm. was, it was just... You, you kind of know what I mean. Like an yeah. air, it was just a different environment. M- my mum said at some point, "Can you see him, Bob?" Because my dad was called Bob Robert, and his nickname Bob. And he's, he said, "Just keep walking." Just my mum was Sylvia. Just keep walking, Sil. Just keep walking. And he sent. He was nervous. He was. He, 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 he was on edge, and it weren't like my dad. He's. He, he was similar to me. He, he'd never go looking for any trouble at all. But if trouble came to him, he didn't run away from it. And I. And I I can tell now, listening at the time, it was just confusing because I, I couldn't understand it. All I there were only rabbits and a guinea pig. What's problem? And he's just saying, keep walking. Yeah, I can see him, and I think he was swearing as well. I can see him. Yeah, 
And and he's, my mum sort of sort of dragged me to one side and dragged me away, and off we go skating up. But I looked back, and then I saw what I, I now know, and then I suppose I knew them, but I didn't. It didn't really register what they were. But they were two beings. That's best I can call them. Stood in the field. Of now we'd passed them that had been on my right hand side. They were on left as we approached, but I didn't see them. I, I was too focused on rabbits and guinea pig. And they were very tall. They'd got large heads, and they looked naked, but there were nothing to discern anything. They were just dark, oh, weird, strange shapes just looking at us like plasticine figures stood in field amongst the snow and ice. I wonder if they um, maybe made you see that so you wouldn't see them. Like a diversion. Pay attention to them. You've, you've hit it on Ed. It doesn't mean we're right, Bella, but I believe that myself. I think that the rabbit and the guinea pig, the rabbits and the guinea pig, were, were some kind of diversion. We, or maybe not so much a diversion, but to actually throw his mind into some kind of confusion. Hmm. Because my dad had obviously seen these things straight away. You know, I'd seen them fairly soon because when I was all I was focusing on were these rabbits, and and he 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 was intent on saying, "Yeah, I've seen them. Just keep walking. Just keep walking." He was nervous. He 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 was gritting his teeth and talking, sort of really really nervous and sort of well fight or flight type kind of. It was weird. It almost seems to me that his reaction there was almost as if he'd seen them before because he didn't say, "What the hell are they?" Oh my God! There's aliens, or or anything like that. He said, "Yes, I see them." Yeah, and he did say that. Believe it or not, I've not thought whether he'd seen them before. To be honest with you, but uh, it, it's a possibility. He was such a, I don't know. He was such a strange man. I know it's my dad, and you're talking like that, but he 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 were he were a, an hard man is the best way to describe him. And I don't mean in I don't mean that physically. It, uh, mentally hard as well. Didn't show his emotions, and you know he'd, he'd had a, he'd had quite a hard life, and uh, and and I know he'd, it Borstal were part of his life. So I think that had shaped him in the way he did, and that's why in the book I've said you know he he used to dish out a lot of punishment to me. Uh, <laughs> I've got you know looking back now at fifty seven year old, I don't mean it doesn't bother me, but I, I can sort of talk about it and it. It doesn't. It doesn't hurt my feelings. But these are things that you carry around with you, sort of trying to get through life and dealing. We're wondering why you got hit, and things like that happened in your life. But and these are the reasons I never spoke to him about or her about what were happening yeah. because I just didn't. I just. I just. I, I had no comprehension as a small child. I know we've we've jumped from nineteen the, the nineteen seventy, but and we'll go back to it. But I had no comprehension as a small child as when you when you're four or five year old when these things are appearing in your bedroom, you don't actually know that it's not normal. Do, yeah. Do you know what? You've got no reference point, have you? You've no reference point. So you you wake up the next day and you know the the morning arrives and you you want to get on with the day. What's happened has been quite traumatic and quite frightening, but it's it's an abuse and it's it's difficult. There's there's nowhere to talk about it or there wasn't then and it was definitely happening and the like we said like I've said many times these memories have stayed with me all my life and if I wanted to capitalize on it and I'd have wrote about this and been talking about this far sooner than 57 years old. I mean, if, if Don would tell you, if he spoke to Don, who's helped me with the book, we, I actually 
right at last minute debated and debated whether I should actually publish the book because it was so personal. But we've gone ahead and done it, and I'm I'm pleased now. I'm pleased. We're going to get some negative feedback eventually, but it's, for the most part at the moment, it's been positive. You've brought me to a line right in the foreword, right before we actually get into the story. There was yep. a there was a line that you wrote in there. Do you mind me reading it out? No, no fire away. So you said nothing affects a person's life more than the reality of a truth that cannot be proven. It's for the people who carry this in silence that I'm writing the night people. I get that you said that you know it was hard and you were debating whether to release the book or whether to continue with the project, but that foreword explains it all. You haven't written it really for your benefit. You've written it for the benefit of, of everyone else who's carrying their stories in silence. Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. And, and and my girls, our girls, should I say, you know, with four girls, because they've, growing up, they've experienced and seen things as well, things that they'd they'd probably never talk about because they haven't experienced it on... I don't mean on the same level like, oh, mine was better. It's just not affected them the way it's affected me. But they've all had these experiences, which I've included, as you know, some of them in, in the book. So, yeah, there'll be people sat there or people listening to... who are searching for answers or maybe listen to what I'm saying and think, yeah, I can relate to that. And, yeah, these things did happen. Just to jump to 1970... For the listeners, uh, Shelley and Bella have not cut this story off. That was about the end of the story. My mum and dad went home. I think they discussed it, but they never discussed those beings. Uh, every time I brought it up, they said I'd have probably had a bad dream. You know, let's just forget about it. And they didn't want to talk about it to, to me. But there was a lady next door but one whose son saw the rabbits and the guinea pig. Because I and he's still alive, so that's on one of my little checklists to try to try and contact him. I've said this before, uh, um, but well, still alive. What a rude thing to say. It'd probably only be a few <laughs> years older than me. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, you know, this guy is still around, shall we say? Yeah. And unbelievably, his mum is. I can't believe it. She's over hundred years old. Wow. Somebody told me. If, yeah, yes. I'll not say the names. I don't know if it's fair to say the names on the show, but uh, yeah, just. Sorry, I've, I know I've rambled on a bit, guys. What? So where were we? Well, one other thing I wanted to say is I find it really strange. I've seen loads of rabbits outside, and we've even seen hedgehogs and all sorts of... But I can't say I've ever seen a guinea pig anywhere other than in a pet store. Yeah, Maybe that's yeah, different well, here, but... No, it's, it's just not. Seem, the they're, rabbits... they're not native to this country. They're not native to this country, Bella. Uh, and plus the fact, what would they be doing in the early hours of the morning? And they weren't running away. And when I think about it, I don't think I recall them moving. Yeah. That, I mean, that's what makes me feel like they were put there as a d- deliberate distraction, if not for your parents, for you. Yeah, I would say without a doubt, I'd, I'd say you're right there. Obviously, we've no, we've no, we've no proof now. But yeah, I think yeah. Uh, with what we've got to go on, which is what I'm talking about, I'd say you're right. And it's just like when when uh, Shelley were about that line that I'd put in front of the book, the, the, the night people's written for people who are sat suffering in silence. It's it's incredible because people are having these experiences. Let's forget about mine for a minute. People, There'll be people out there that, have, that are experiencing and have experienced things far more traumatic, far more detailed and vivid because all i've got are cameos of events i've not got anything that that can string together 
uh, from from one to ten, shall we say? I've got number one, and then I've got number four, and then I've got seven. Do you know yeah. that's it's it's weird if that makes sense. But uh, everything that we're talking about, me, other people, it's all anecdotal evidence because it leaves us with nothing. So therefore, science finds it hard to to conduct any any feasible experiments, shall we say, or look at it. Look at it scientifically, because there's there's no proof left behind. Hence the titles of the truth proof books. Or the first one, the truth that leaves no proof, because these these beings, this phenomena, impacts a person's life, sort of knocks them off the feet and gives sort of rattles the brain so hard that they're left scratching the head for the rest of their lives, but but leaves nothing apart from these memories that are just imprinted in our minds and we're not we're not all so stupid that we we're imagining half of this and and as i've said before in a way i'm pleased that they left me with scars i'm pleased i went to hospital i'm pleased i went to have the biopsies done it, you know it, it, at least it shows something's been some kind of procedures been performed on me and and i've no no sort of explanation for it and the doctors and some of the letters i know one of them i don't know if it's in night people said we're quite perplexed about you know about the punch hole lesions that are appearing on this young man's body every three to six months. I mean, I might have got the dates wrong there. It might have been two to three months, but uh, it, I know the letters there. I, I, I wanted to put more in, and I'm not blaming Don for that. Don said, "Just add these. These. This is enough. You don't have to put all your life into it." Kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? And I suppose he were right because there's about fifteen letters probably more from doctors all discussing this over over the years when you woke up and your wife said to you oh you've got holes in these holes in your back was there yeah. anything on the sheets not a mark and you know this i think this were in 90 late 97 early 1998 you know uh, you've got to be so careful what you say because if i say i think it were early 1998 somebody's going to read book and say oh it must be lying because it were late 97 yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you know i'm, I'm not tr- it's but it were 97 i think so We'd be, me and Mary had been out that this particular night and had, had a nice time. I don't know, a few beers, not got drunk at all, but just doing what yeah. couples do. Come home, watched a bit of TV, maybe had a bite to eat, gone to bed. And now the, in the night, there were lights flashing in the room. They were, it, it, it was strange. It was like a car headlight had turned around in your back garden and you'd sort lights flashing except there's no car headlights can turn around there's there's nothing but terraced houses at back of our property and the curtains were drawn and i'm watching these lights and it's happening quite regular and then in between the lights i saw them mm-hmm. but you're rigid you, you, you i don't know what the process is because every time I've, i'll get to the story uh, bella but every time i think to myself i'm gonna be ready for this i'm i'm i'm, I'm gonna but you don't your brain just floats out at window or that part that <laughs> says it's going to be ready for it. You, you just don't. You're not ready. And it's happened. It's happening before you have before you even begin to try and process what's happening. Yeah. So I saw, I saw flashes of them within the light, and I knew they were there. Then you'd see them a, 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 like a, a flash of them near bed, or, and, and they're telling me. They're telling me. I don't hear it audibly. They're telling me there's a bed spring turning in my back. How ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm laid, I'm laid on my back. So I've, obviously I can't have been laid on my back because the procedure, whatever they did, was on my back. You know? Yeah. And uh, so 
it'd have to be turned over. But I'm being told not it's nothing. It's a bed spring turning in your back. Sort of go to sleep. There's nothing. There's, there isn't a problem. And oh, the pain! Something went really deep into my back at least twice, mm. and it felt like a corkscrew. I don't know. I don't know whether I passed out in pain. I have no idea. But then I woke up the next morning. It's a lovely sunny morning, and sat on edge at bed. And I've no clothes on. I'm just sat. And, and Mary must have turned around, and looked at me, and she went, "Oh, Paul, I don't believe it." I can hear her saying it now. I said, "What's the matter?" She says, "You've got three holes in your back. Well, there were two large ones and a smaller one." And they, they were quite severe. Uh, it's a, the picture that Mary took with one of them instamatic Polaroids that I'm glad she took it. I wish we'd have got cameras I've got today. Uh, and, and I wish we'd have capitalised on it as in for evidence and, yeah. and, and I don't know, don't, had more tests done. But these were as big as, I don't know, bigger than 10 centimetres round these each hole. And it were, they were very deep. They were painless, Bella. And like you've just asked, they weren't uh, they weren't a mark on sheets anywhere. And uh, sort of Mary, as I say, she took took the photographs. I'll tell you what she did say. I'm not sure if I put it in, in the book, but they were ash. And I don't know whether that were burnt skin, but there was ash on my back, uh, like mm. almost like not cigarettes. Dark. There was ash. Yeah. Now the the people at the doctors, and this is only a bit of medical records that hasn't. That, that hasn't shown up when I requested the the medical notes and information, you know, when I went to the doctors. But he definitely wrote up that he thought they were laser burns. Yeah. But when you're, when you're sat in front of a doctor, this is your own doctor in Bridlington, and the, the doctors at the hospital on more than one occasion, because obviously I had to show them, then, they, then they'd call you back and they'd do this biopsy. And they're, they're saying to me, Mr. Sinclair, you couldn't have – the position of them, you couldn't have inflicted these yourself. Somebody has done this to you. You can tell us. And and they thought somebody were physically abusing me. And and, and I've got it in my head. I, I can see this these beings. I can feel this pain and I can hear them saying there's a, co- there's a bed spring turning in your back. And I'm sat in front of doctors lying and they know I'm yeah. lying. <laughs> The truth is that if I'd have, I'd have been better off lying and saying, yeah, well, to be honest with you, yeah, the I don't know, somebody did this to me. Yeah, they shoved a glowing steel, 10 mil steel tube into my back. And that's what's happened because the wounds were cauterized as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, and, and they healed. They've just, the, but they've they've healed with what's called, and I'm no medical expert, giant foreign body cells, and there's bumps. They're like a big white scar, which I'm told is indicative of a medical, a surgical procedure taking place. So hmm. they were certain that I were being abused, and somebody were doing it. And and I obviously knew the truth of what were happening, but were frightened to death to tell them. And they were probably some hardest times. Like I said, as a child, you you sort of deal with it. You wake up in the morning, you you still you're happy. You have your breakfast. You go to school. You play, and you forget about the night until it until the night time comes. But when when I were dealing with that, and those things were happening, and I had nowhere to turn to, I had nobody to speak to. It was it were horrible. It really were. <laughs> I can imagine. You've got pictures of those lesions in your book, pictures of lesions. I've just been looking through now on page 116 for any of our listeners that that have the book. And you also then have 
a photograph of the notes that the doctor made, and uh, I mean, he records it as a series of bizarre punched out lesions. And then later on, you've got a letter that was dated the 17th of April 98 which was actually okay. from a consultant dermatologist. And the first sentence of that letter, I think, says it all. It says, I'm afraid we've drawn a blank with Mr. Sinclair's lesions. So yeah. medically, they're, they're struggling to explain how you came upon these these lesions. Well, yeah, it, it, and, and they really were. And I mean, if you'd have seen them on my arms, uh, Shelley, it, it, it just looked like somebody had took a little test tube thing, a little dropper and just with, with an acid in it and just dropped them all over my arms on one occasion. And a lot of them have healed and there's still about six or seven that have gone with the white bumps. And the ones that have healed, if because so, I'm pale skinned, as soon as I get some sun on my skin, you can see them. And it, it just just a t- terrible experience. And that, that one occurred after, they occurred nearly straight away. In nine, I think it was 1994 as we were, as I were refurbing this house or getting it ready to move into, and I'd, I'd gone up the, with my daughter, Sarah, uh, to do some work on house and left Mary with other three girls down in Doncaster. And that's the one where we laid on a, a mattress at the top of the house after we'd been working all night. And I woke up at night and there's sort of a right angle looking out onto landing and then some spindles. So the panel, the, the brick panel would be about two foot wide. And then the other part at right angle was a door, which were painted dark wood grain. And I could see a figure stood in the shadows. I couldn't see eyes or anything like that. It looked like he'd got one of those huge hats on, like Peaky Blinders. I think is that you know the program. I do, yeah, yeah. Just the big black outline, and and I and I will, and these are the things that perplex me. Not just my story, other people's as well. Why we don't act on it? If I if I hear a noise in night, Shelley, I don't know about you, but I get up and I investigate. But I just laid there. I sent Bella. Looking, uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, Mary's closer to the door in this house. <laughs> yeah, it's not like we planned but, it. Mm-hmm. No. So, uh, but I'm just laid there looking and thinking, I can see it. I know I can see this. And I sort of look at Sarah and she's fast asleep. Uh, she She's eldest girl and she'd come up to help assist me. She were only young at the time, but she sort of loved helping her dad. And, well, all kids like being with the parents, don't they? So anyway, I'm, suddenly I'm, I'm distracted. And I'm looking at the spindles on the landing because with the doors open and we're just laid on a mattress, so probably only nine or ten inch off the floor. And the white. And I'm thinking, I've, I haven't painted them. They were the, the mahogany. It's a beautiful mahogany staircase. And I've painted spindles white. I said, come on, Paul, you haven't. You haven't. And I'm, ta- I'm telling myself this. And then suddenly they get whiter and whiter. And then they look like fluorescent tubes. And there's some – now – I'm sorry for jumping people, but there was. I did hope when I wrote Night People that other elements, other things would come back to me, almost like regression. Well, two things did come back to me, and this is this is the this is one of them. The other was kicking leaves on on street at Church Street, or believe it or not. So that just took that story back to autumn. But so there are only two things that come back. So there's no great revelations, but. There's light coming up from the landings, and the the staircase is huge, or it was before I converted this property to flat, and it was something like three and a half meters by five meters, and that with a big opening in the middle where you could just look down from the top floor. It was a fine house, big fine Victorian house. So anyway, there's something coming up, and and when it came up, I could see beings, and 
the first thing that come to me, we looked like a nativity scene. It really did. They'd almost look like they got halos, these beings, whatever they were. And I'm, I remember looking at that. I couldn't remember that for years. Night people brought that back to me. And then all of a sudden, everything just exploded. Bang, it was just white out. And the next thing I know, it's morning. And there were no curtains up at this property then in the top of the house and the sunlight flooding through. And I'd forgot about it for a few minutes. So I could call it half an hour, you call it five minutes, but I'd forgot about it. And I'm I'm laid there sort of thinking, what shall we do today? Because we're going home after dinner and all that. And Sarah sort of wakes up and I just stretched my arms. And this is what I were on about peppered in holes. It started right away. It, and my arms were full of holes, little holes that you could look into. It were almost liquid, mm. uh, but not blood. And it and, uh, and then it's then it come back to me in dribs and drabs. I remembered about the spindles. Uh, it di it didn't hit me all at once. You know, like, but throughout the day and things, these little bits were coming back, and I'd forgot all about what I termed as looking like a nativity scene until writing Night People. So we're talking from 1994 to 2020. So there's obviously there's still things there, but how strange that that things had stopped. When, I, when we lived in Sprotborough for a number of years until moving to Bridlington, and it started immediately. It's almost like there's things planned in people's lives. Well, you mentioned a story that really made me think, whoa, hang on a minute. Are they just these things that appear in the middle of the night? Or as a lot of researchers and a lot of experiences have said, that sometimes they can become people, if you like, or, or become part of our everyday life without necessarily us noticing. And there was an experience that you mentioned actually in Spotborough Road, although it wasn't directly related to the night people, it involved your neighbours and especially a lodger. Yes, we, we lived at Sprotborough Road in early 90s and it was semi-detached house, bay windows that looked out onto the road. The same bay windows people, you're probably thinking where he's going to, it'll make sense in a moment. But uh, this, this, there was this old lady there who'd lived in house next door for years and years and she had a lodger and uh, I, I better not say the names. I, I think I've well, I have changed the names in book, but they're probably long since gone. But uh, in the book, the lodger's name is Mister Lodge. Mister Mister Lodge, yeah, <laughs> Mister Lodge, yeah. Well, so it, it was almost sinister. You know, we'd be working on property, and there'd been another old couple in in the property next door, our property for many years. I suppose they'd been friends, and suddenly they, this their environment, shall we say, had been disrupted by four little girls and this joiner, me and my wife, and we're busy renovating this property and making it our, putting our stamp on it. And they were hearing sounds in the house that they'd never heard before, like our girls running up and downstairs, children playing. They'd, they'd probably gone for 30 or 40 years without any of that. And it, it, they were all right. They spoke and they were nice enough to start with. And uh, and we didn't play excessive music and things. You know, we weren't. I weren't trying to be a bad neighbour, but it started to get weird. We'd sit in Bottom at Garden on an evening. We'd got a seat down there, and after girls had gone to bed, and their back room, back bedroom window would be in darkness with curtains open, and suddenly you'd see a cigarette glow up in the darkness, and, he'd, and they were watching you, and you'd see them move about, and you'd see door open. You're probably thinking, well, this isn't paranormal. This isn't. This is not really that sinister this is just nosy neighbors so that 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 were uncomfortable it weren't nice you were being watched and then we i made a window seat on the front bay and these bays were about five foot apart 
as we said, it's a semi-detached house and they'd got the same type of house. And as we'd sit there having a coffee on a night, watching world go by before we went to bed and suddenly car headlights would flash and he'd be sat in a seat in his on edge of his room watching us in darkness. And it was, it was horrible. And I'd been like I was, I, you know, I'd have been back to him sometimes and Mary would say, he's just come to the window, he's staring. And then I turned around, he'd gone. It not vanished, it'd gone. So in, in moisture, in condensation at window, I'd write a swear word that ended with off to him. Uh, mm. <laughs> I'm, so, uh, I'm sorry, but I did. And But then the, the weirdest thing happened. I, I built some lovely fitted wardrobes on back wall, which would have been their bedroom wall at the other side. With the, Remember, it's nine-inch brick, these houses. Sorry to sound boring, but as a builder, that's what you, you know. So anyway, particular night, I dreamt about him coming through the wardrobes and standing at side of the bed. So you think, well, you could be dreaming about him because the guy's obviously on your mind with what's happening. But then when Mary gets up, she tells me the same thing. In the book, you actually say that you had this dream and it kind of made you think, was this a dream, etc. So you actually drew a picture of it. And then she described that she'd seen it and then you showed her this picture. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, yeah, and that was creepy. <laughs> Yeah, and then it gets even stranger because I had I had, I had a what I, I perceived what a dream, but I think it were probably what do they call it uh, remote viewing? Yeah, out of body experience. Like yeah, that. because suddenly I was I was in their bathroom, or I was in a bathroom. I'd never been in it. Remember, and and I'm I'm behind the the door, and I'm between, so there's so probably an eighteen inch gap between door and the bath, and there's there's black and white tiles on floor. There's a smell which I couldn't identify at time. And there's I'm looking at the sink and it's got flowers motives stuck to it. And it's not that dark that I can't see these things. And Mr. Lodge, as I've called him, opens the door and looks round the bathroom and looks down at me. But I don't know if he can see me, but it was frightening. But then, I'm sorry for labouring with this story, people. No, no, I, I really wanted you to concentrate on this because well, that, this is that, a really that, good one. That, that would be the end of it. But then he went away for a few days. We'll say six months later. I've no idea what date it was, but he went away for a few days. Or uh, I don't know. I think he used to go with his brother, actually. He used to go somewhere. And uh, our, I think it was Gemma. She come running in and she says, Dad, Dad, the lady next door is banging on the window and, and shouting help and things. So I went outside and sure enough, she was. And the the latch had broken, or, well, stuck the spindle and she couldn't get out of the bedroom. She was stuck. So I went. I entered the property and let her out, and she was very grateful and everything. And then I offered to fix the latch. So I don't know. I don't, a few hours later, I probably got a new latch and fixed it for her or sorted it out. And uh, I'm thinking, I want to look in that bathroom. I, you know, I really want to. But even then, I, I was respectful enough, and I asked her if I could use the bathroom. I didn't <laughs> just sort of sneak about. And but guess what? And you know what I'm going to say when I opened the door. Black and white tiles on the floor, flower motives transfer stuck to the sink, and the smell, Wright's coal tar soap uh, on mm. the sink. Now, I, you can't smell in a dream, surely to God. And that's that smell. I, and it just, it just, 
I thought, what's happening? I don't know what the processes at work are when these things happen. And I'm not saying that is alien stroke, UFO stroke, I don't know, extraterrestrial related, because I don't think it is. But it's a quirky experience that I thought were, were worth writing about. And I'm glad you I'm glad you asked me about it, really, Shelley, because most people would want to just concentrate on what they perceive as the alien. No, do you know what? I really think that it's connected. And one of the things that really struck me, and I don't know whether this has occurred to you, and I apologise if, if I'm bringing up something now that's suddenly going to throw your mind into some kind of quandary, but when you describe it, the way you describe it in the book, especially when you're hid behind the door, and yeah. Mr. Lodge, as he's, as he's termed, comes into the bathroom. He has a look around the bathroom. He, he almost senses that you're there, and he peers around the doorway and looks down at you. Yeah. I read that as almost you were like a child. That you were yeah, I felt like that. That, that you were small and that this yeah. thing was looking down over you. And I can only assume from other experiences that I've read and, and heard about and people that we've spoken to through doing this job that it it's almost akin to when these these alien beings are looking over you in bed or, yeah. you know, when they're in yes. the craft or whatever. So to me, when I read it, it was almost like, hang on a minute, this he hasn't just gone into a neighbour's house. It's almost that he's been taken back into in time to a degree that he's now small again or at least you feel small against this big you know mr lodge who for to all intents and purposes when you're describing him prior to that wasn't this big threatening figure but in that situation he was yeah it's a good way of looking at it and i'd not thought of that i'll be honest with you and i did feel vulnerable and and isolated and probably frightened the only the only thing separating it from a dream is that smell mm. <laughs> it sounds daft because i knew i could smell something and soon as i walked in that bathroom i know that's not what you've just been on about that it, it was there the yeah. right's called tar, called tar soap so that's just a strange strange little event that i don't know that i thought were worth including and I'm, as i say i'm glad you've picked up on it and there's another story in there that when i actually read it because i read it before bella i actually ran into the room where bella was i said you've got to hear this you've got to hear this so if you can just tell the listeners about the story when you and mary before you were married you were boyfriend and girlfriend and you explained that your parents go out to the club and very often they'd come back at about 11 o'clock at night and you're both sat in front of the fireplace and i'll let you take the story from here Yep, right. So they lived at Burcroft Hill in Cunnisborough at this particular time. And uh, I don't know how old I would be, 17 or 18, because me and Mary have been married, I don't know, God knows, years. But there, there you go. So uh, <laughs> that's bad. That's bad. I think it's 38, 39 years. But right. So my dad and my mum, they were pretty predictable. So he, he were an hardworking guy. So when he came home from work, he'd have his tea, have a bath. And at nine o'clock to 9.30, they'd go out and have a few beers to this pub called the Rearsby Arms in Denneby. It was a short drive, probably a 10-minute drive from where they lived in Conisborough. And Mary would be staying at our house most days in week. If not, I'd be staying at hers. And we're just sat, I think, I can even think we're on TV or there's something like Faulty Towers and we'd just sat in front of the gas fire. No lights on. TV would have been low. I don't want to sound too crude, people, but soon as they, my mum and dad went out, me and Mary went upstairs. And uh, we and we did. So that was that. And uh, this particular night, they'd gone out and I'm sat there and it's lovely, nice kind of evening, no weird vibe in air. And I said, shall we go upstairs then? And we were literally sat in front of the gas fire on the floor, not on chairs, probably 
I don't know, a foot apart, 18 inch apart, and a voice said, why? And <laughs> I looked at Mary, and Mary looked at me, and it was one of them blood, you know, everybody's felt it when you feel fear, then when that cold shiver goes down the back of your neck. Yeah. And she knew what, she knew I'd not said it, I knew she'd not said it, and just one word, Why? And it it was between us. It was it was a presence. It was there. That's what got me was the fact yeah. that you were sat so close, and the oh, word "why" was right between the two of you. <laughs> you know, it, it, well, needless to say, Shelley and Bella, we didn't go anywhere. <laughs> we, we we probably put the room light on. I don't know. I know Mary went home that night. She yeah, didn't want I don't to stay. Blame her. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, and so, so yeah, that was a, a weird, a weird experience. So one word carried a, three letters carried a lot of weight and could s- stop people in their tracks, and uh, and it just goes to show that unexplained phenomena, no matter how academics and science wants to dress it up, is around us all the time. As in, when I said dress it up and explain it. Somebody could say, oh, well, you probably misheard it, probably on television and volume just sort of peaked or something. It was between us. And the only people capable of standing there and saying it was between us are the actual witnesses, and that were me and Mary. Mm. And so nobody, no, anybody who wants to come up with some fancy explanation for what we heard, uh, I'm afraid they'd have had to have been there. And, yeah, it, it, it was real, that, and it happened. It was really strange. In your book, in the chapter entitled A Beautiful Fear, you talk about another type of being. Can you describe that entity and the immaculate deception, as you call it? Yeah, because, Bella, I often think about these and wonder if they were the same things, actually, because I realized that the ones that I saw, we'll jump to what you've asked in a minute, the ones that I saw that were very frightening had these huge black eyes. But they they wouldn't have looked that different if they'd have had not had the huge black eyes. Does that make sense? Do you know? Yeah. And I recall waking up. This is this is a when we lived at Old Denaby as a, uh, when I was a young boy, in between I don't know four and seven years old perhaps, and I, and they'd be there observing me, and I don't mean lots of them. I mean one, and it'd be and I it'd be on pillar, but I can't remember seeing its legs. It's difficult. It's almost like a ghost or it's difficult to, to describe I, 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 you know we try to give analogies and, and explanations for things that we that we, that we haven't actually got any reference to yeah. other than what we've seen and and i've described them i think as looking like we lived in this council house that were very cold in winter with steel window frames and I, inside at windows used to freeze up so if you've seen that texture that frosty white texture inside or on glass in, in winter, mm-hmm. that's what they were like. And it was like they were swirling with life. And I remember looking into their eyes, and it it was fabulous. Uh, and I don't mean I looked for hours and we had some marvellous earth-shattering conversations where <laughs> I was giving enlightenment, because that didn't happen. But I looked, and I, th- I think even as a child, I thought, I can see forever. I can see everything. It's beautiful. This is lovely. And and it were all the feeling I got from these things looking at me. Well, they were gauging my reaction. It was like when the dog hears a funny sound, and you can see their head tipping to one side and moving about, and they're trying to work it out. It was like that's what they were like. Look at this. Were like looking at me. Mm. And but what a fabulous experience. But I, I, I do I do wonder if they were the they were the same things 
just in a different guise to, to, to as, as what were giving me these the, the terrible uh, experiences as well. And I think emotion, and I know we talked about this, Shelley. I think emotion plays 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 a big part with these. Or I, my personal opinion is that they they were interested in human emotion and what makes us human. Uh, as in, you know, what makes us cry, what makes us, you know, the, terrified, what makes us happy. That's not that's not a new sort of theory, is it? That's actually pretty no, common. No, that... no, I'm not. I don't think I'm groundbreaking. Yeah. Oh no, no, no! I, I'm just saying. I, you do hear that a lot. That maybe they're trying to understand our feelings because they don't necessarily have that capacity yeah, yeah, yet, but, or something. Uh, yeah, yeah, or, or, or they've whatever capacity they've got is not working on the same level as ours. I mean, we, we, I, I wonder if they can actually differentiate between a feelings of. Uh, fear and feelings of pain, or tears of fear and tears of fe- and tears of pain. Do you, you know the difference? Mm. I know it's all, it's all speculation. All I know is that these things happened to me, and I've I've documented them. But I, I wish I'd got some solid answers. But when we said what I said earlier is, even the, the people I speak to about their experiences, nothing in within this subject really leaves us with any f- tangible proof, does it? That's why I said I'm quite happy now that they left me with scars at least. And I, that sounds weird, but at least I've got something there to say, you know, I, I didn't put these holes in my back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it goes back to, again, that quote in the foreword about the fact that, you you know, you're writing it for other people as well who are in the same position as you, who maybe don't have any evidence, but the society might call them a kook or a, a weirdo or whatever, but really they, they're a person who's had an experience. Maybe... A lot more of us have had that experience than we know. Maybe there's only just a selective few that remember it. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm certain, Shelley, that there's people out there that remember a lot more than me who, are, who are, like we said, sat in silence because I've I've got these little bits of memories and which we've put together to manage to write night people, but the the there the may be full stories full sequences of events and and then a timeline that people can draw on and i hope it prompts people to to give their stories and give their accounts because it's it's clearly real it's happening and if you know and, and if it takes people like me and other people that writing their stories to make others brave enough to start and talk about it because once it starts to roll like anything it gathers just like I said earlier, I'm getting more and more reports and more people coming to me with information. It's difficult to contain it all. Mm. So there's clearly a lot of it out there. And and I'll tell you another interesting thing is when you begin to speak to somebody about a sighting or about the unexplained and then suddenly their their mind throws back to something that's happened to them. And then you quite often you'll hear them say, I'd actually forgot about that, you know. Yeah. What processes at work suppressing people's memories because that's almost it's like a firewall that goes up you know when people have had these experiences and you know the the people who are actually non-believers and and sort of dis- dismiss everything out of hand a lot of times they tend to not want to talk about it at all because it's just shattered their belief system it's just absolutely crushed what they previously thought so they either become a- absolutely over top or they say nothing and sort of go into themselves, which uh, it, it, they're being disingenuous to this, not just to themselves, but 
to other people as well. You say in your book, you say, if my mind were an engine, it would have blown up by now, pushing the red line for answers. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. It, it, it really would. I mean, because I don't think, obviously, life does go on and I we, we sort of interact with our friends and things. And I don't, friends outside of this, I don't talk about this subject to them. But you can guarantee when I go to bed on a night, if I, I lay there and I wake up. I don't sleep much. I do sleep, obviously. We've all got to sleep. But it's going through my head all the time. Mm. I, I don't know the, the comforts of madness. It's like, it's all, it's crazy because I can't. I can't get it out of my head because I can't make sense of it. Uh, and I, I wish I could. You know, you think writing night people, you've made some kind of sense, but you haven't. All you've done is compiled a timeline of events from childhood to what we'll call present day to 2020. And but it's but none of it as a conclusion, none of it as a point of origin. It's just entering our lives, impacting on us and leaving us like sh- shaking his heads up and just leaving us to sort of deal with consequences. Mm. This phenomena, these beings, I don't think they've got any regard for our feelings, probably because they they, they might not – I don't think they understand emotion as we understand it. Yeah. And what they, what they want from us, Shelley, may not be what we as humans think that they want because we're looking at it in terms of – what we would be satisfied with, what we think the research, A what direction, yeah, yeah, the direction we think the research needs to be, and science is setting the boundaries of what what can and cannot be. Which, at the end of the day, we are no disrespect to science, but it means nothing because this phenomena is still happening and just because they can't get their heads around it just because they can't solve it, it's not stopped it it's not stopped it from ancient times when people sat around fires discussing lights and strange things in the sky to present day it's still happening we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with preston dennett and we were talking about his book about uh, ufos that suddenly appear when people are at the drive-in and yes. a listener got in touch with us after that and said, actually, I wonder whether this is that whether they're trying to learn more about emotions. Because he said, if you think that these beings are potentially, you know, let's say robots, and I'm not saying necessarily they're robots in the sense or the terms that we would consider robots, but you know, maybe biological robots in some yeah, way. Yeah. Then the idea of a movie they probably wouldn't have because you know a movie is is purely there to entertain us. But if you don't, so have you, you those, would have a. A collective lot of emotion then, wouldn't you? Collective laughter, collective sadness uh, exactly. on mass scales. So, Ex- so yeah, that kind of makes sense. I, th- I think uh, I, I may be right here. I think it, it was a Rolling Stones concert, and I think it might have been Mick Jagger that claims that he saw a UFO when they were performing, but nobody saw it. He was on stage. Obviously, everybody's looking at him. Yeah. You know, and and I mean, obviously, I can't even remember somebody. Somebody listening to this might do a bit of research and correct me. It's not something I've looked into what the year or wh- where it was. I think it were in the UK, but but yeah, I mean, you would have a mass gathering of people, and you'd have a mass gathering of excitement and ele- elation and and emotions. Yeah. Uh, quite what they want from us, I don't know. Yeah. I I do believe that as a child, it was some also something to do with blood. I think my blood at, at certain points w- were being removed and put back in my body. Uh, it mm. sounds a bit crude. It sounds a bit off the wall, but I really do because I could, it was almost like I could feel it turning around my body. It, were, it was, Once again, I've tried to add an al- analogies. If, if you sort of lean on your arm and your arm goes numb, if you've done it in bed 
at any time when you've got really silence and seclusion when you actually move and that arm suddenly starts to come to life you can actually feel the blood pouring back mm. into the veins yeah and that's what that at times as a child that's what it felt like but it were around my entire body and i think i wrote it were like my body were like a perfect clock mm. it just felt everything felt elated as in it is as uh, it's difficult to explain you know it is it is honestly well, I think that people are definitely going to need to get a hold of the book because you do a really good job of describing the situation and the, and the stories that, that you've got to impart upon us. You describe really how, you know, as you said, we've only got human eyes to draw from the experiences. Sometimes you say, you know, this might not be exactly how what it was meant to be or, or whatever, but that's as a four-year-old, that's all I can draw from it, and I can only yeah. draw from it with my human eyes. You've got lots of artwork in the book. You've got photos. You've got the medical evidence from the doctors. So there's definitely lots of material in there that people can yeah. really get their teeth into. Did you do the artwork in there yourself? I see a lot of it signed PS. Yeah, and I did all the artwork, Amazing. Uh, Shelley. Really a, a, good. Apart, one, one thing, I think a guy needs the credit. Jason Davis did the front cover for me. So, And I think he's made a, a fabulous job of it. I think, like you said earlier it you, you sort of know what the book what direction the book's going to go without opening it mm-hmm. exactly it really it really and, it's, and it jumps out at you as well the colors are beautiful yeah. on the cover and, you know, and, and i've had I, I mustn't forget that i've had some help from some brilliant people i mean the people that have just added a few words in the book howard hughes you know nick pope whitley streber robbie williams you know, it's you know they've read it and and enjoyed it. I mean, Robbie said it was frightening. It really frightened him. And uh, yeah, on the back here he said, "I love how Paul writes," which, to be honest with you, is uh, sometimes terrifying. <laughs> so yeah, he's uh, and and of course Robbie's had his own experiences, which yeah, I've read about as well. A, a really interesting guy. That's that's all I'd say on that one. But yeah, the, the, the really good soul. Yeah, and Philip Mantle as well also uh, is quoted on the back of your book as well. So you've got some really big names yep. of people in the field who obviously respect your work and obviously enjoyed the book. So I definitely think it's something that people who are interested in this field should pick up. I, I just get that one in because I'd forgot about Philip. I have so much to thank Philip for. He's given me so much information freely, sent me stuff through the post. Nothing to do with night people, but old cases, historic work. So full respect to Philip Mantle and probably one of the most knowledgeable people. I wouldn't just say in the UK, but in the world on the subject of the unexplained and UFOs. Definitely. You paint a brilliant picture descriptively as well throughout the book the 70s you know where you talk about the old radiogram that looked like the coffin in the room <laughs> we didn't have a radiogram but you talk about tuning the radio to the police frequencies and my father was yeah. a police officer so i used to do exactly the same thing because i used to try and tune in and see if i could hear him on there yeah it's interesting how we all we all did that back in the 70s i do have a question not related to this book but you were kind enough to send us a signed copy, which we're going to be giving away to uh, one of our lucky listeners. So if you listen to the end of the show today, we'll tell you exactly how you can win that. The winner of the last book of yours that we offered out to our listeners was a guy by the name of David Burnett. And he actually has sent us a question. Do you mind me uh, throwing it your way? Yeah, just throw it. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so he said that on the coast around the areas of the high strangeness that obviously you, you visit quite frequently it was known to be an area back in the day where there was satanic type rituals do you think that this may be linked in some way with some of the unexplained events that have been occurring in in in, uh, yeah possibly yeah possibly no doubt that 
I used to I used to doubt. I don't want to sound evasive with David's question. In the first book, I was unsure whether the satanic cult was actually real or not. I, so I, I skirted around it. But as as I got more research and looked into it in more depth, I realised it obviously was. I've, I've spoken to people now that have actually been been in various places around the cliff tops and seen animal sacrifice and things like that. Now. Whether the lights in the sky, if, if people had have seen these unexplained lights in the sky, well, when they were up doing whatever it was they were doing, uh, and, and uh, then attributing that to their ritualistic practice, I don't know. Mm. But as a collective, maybe, once again, you've touched on human emotion earlier. Maybe this phenomena taps into human emotion, and maybe what they were doing—I don't know whether they were, how often it was being performed—the the sort of ritualistic practices. But what they were doing, maybe maybe it didn't go unnoticed with the phenomena and could have been enhanced. I don't know whether I've answered your question there, David. I mean, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because obviously, there's some truth to the element of dark magic and and the things that can be achieved through it. And I'm not a practitioner of it myself, by the way. But uh, the, it's from what I've read and from what I've been told, there is there is a truth, there is a reality to it. So does the phenomena latch onto that, and and does does it then become enhanced, or or does the does it attract a darker element of the phenomena, and is that the reason some of the things have been happening around there of a more sinister nature? I, I couldn't, I, I honestly couldn't say with any certainty. I suppose it's almost like a chicken and egg thing, isn't it? Did the light yep. did the lights appear and then people say, "Ooh!" Because back in ancient times, they would have looked at it possibly as angels or God or whatever. Yeah, you know, could they have suddenly then thought we need to worship whatever these lights are, and then the rituals came afterwards? Or, as you say, did the rituals possibly? Call the enhance that and exactly. enhance that phenomena. As, as my gut feeling is that the the phenomena was always there. It's probably everywhere. I don't, you know, I, 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 we just because we've got un, unexplained phenomena occurring around eastern North Yorkshire doesn't mean that it's not going to be occurring in Doncaster or Coventry, mm. uh, in some obscure place that nobody's ever looked. I think it's it's the the area. I wouldn't say it's fortunate, but the area has me on a 24-7 basis, looking for unexplained phenomena and gathering people's stories and putting them out there. So I've highlighted it, but it might not be any more prevalent here than other parts of the country. It's probably just that I'm, I'm pulling these stories out and pulling this information out. Paul, listen, thank you very much for being on the show once again. It's always a joy to speak to you. I've got to say that your book, has left me with so many more questions, which I think is healthy. I think that's a good thing. I think if a book in this genre claims to give you all the answers, excuse my friends, it's probably bullshit. Agreed. I think Agreed. that, you know, if you've got a book like this that that leaves you with questions and th there's so many things that I've been looking at this afterwards and thinking, oh, I never really quite thought about it like that. Like I said to you about being in the bathroom and were you the child? I think the way yep. that you've written it really causes the reader to ask questions, which which I oh, think is, is a refreshing change. Good, good. Uh, one last thing, because I realise you guys are just about want to wind up. Uh, we, at some point during the future, I'd, I'd love to come on again and talk about the Dark Forest Project, which I'm working on with uh, Les Drake and, from Digital Creations. I'm, I, I'm excited about it. It's, 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 it's really, we've got some first-class witnesses to, to some really strange happenings 
in the forests and moors of North Yorkshire. I would definitely want to book you with that. Stay on the line after we finish this and we'll we'll see if we can work something out. Okay. I know that if I failed to do so, I would be lynched by our listeners. <laughs> so uh, it, it won't be your fault. It'll be a few months away because we're actually being very cagey with the information we're putting out because I found things out relating to the landscape, relating to the area that, that haven't been found before. And we've got absolutely what we consider first-class witnesses describing something very similar over a lot of years. And they're going on camera. That's the main thing. They're going on camera and telling their stories. Once again, listeners, anecdotal evidence, which, you know, which is difficult to, to be tested scientifically. Not everybody's lying. And if you've got independent witnesses who don't know each other telling you the same things, it has to be taken seriously. And on camera, because it's very easy for somebody to give an anonymous account, but to actually put themselves yeah. on a camera, that means that they've either got to be crazy or a, a bit more credible. So, yeah, yeah no. Yeah, and talking about on camera, tell our listeners about your regular show that you're putting out at the moment. We didn't do the one this Friday, but most Fridays we're doing a live stream, a Truth Proof live stream which can be found on youtube or going to the facebook page and looking for truth proof and uh it, we're just we're telling listener stories and if if we don't have a guest on i'll spend an hour discussing an account with last week i think we did the hunnambi incident it's well worth listening if anybody's interested and i don't mind talking about it to you guys at some point three first-hand witnesses claiming to have seen a ufo in hunnambi back in 1998 up close and personal it involved roadblocks military intervention poltergeist activity prior to it it's a it's an interesting story sounds like it yeah we'll definitely have to cover that next time as well (laughs) (laughs) paul thank you once again we've been speaking to paul sinclair his book is night people if you're interested in this kind of thing and you don't get this book you've only got yourself to blame that's all i can say it's really well done thank you very much paul for being on the show and uh we will definitely speak to you again yep bye paul thank you bye bella it's been a pleasure thank you That was definitely one of the best books that I've read in this genre. Very scary. It was, but not. Don't get me wrong. It's not. It's not a horror book. So no, but it is unnerving. Yeah, don't expect to read it and be petrified because that's not how Paul writes. But certainly, when you start looking into it deeper and when you start thinking about the things that are going on, I know damn well that if some of the things that were happening to me that were happening in there, then then yeah, I would be having lots of sleepless nights. It's really well written, as I said in the show, and it's definitely worth getting. And if you want more of him, he'll be back soon. Well, before we go any further, we promised you that you could get your hands on a free signed copy of the book Night People by Paul Sinclair. So, pause this now and get yourself a pen. To be in with a chance of winning the book, all you need to do is share this episode on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or YouTube. And you can tag us into the message so that we know you did it. Our Twitter account is at the WWW podcast. Our Instagram is Weird Wacky Wonderful Podcast. Our Facebook page is at Weird Wacky Wonderful Stories. And you can even tag our personal account on Facebook if you wish. We are Shelley Bella. Our YouTube channel is Weird Wacky Wonderful Stories Podcast. Don't forget, all you need to do is share, and you could win that signed copy signed by Paul himself. And you can also get hold of the book via Amazon and all your usual bookstores. We'll put a link to it on our website and also in the show notes of this 
podcast. We'll also put a link to his YouTube channel as well. Don't forget you can get in touch with us via our website, www.weirdwackywonderful.co.uk and read more about Paul and our other guests. You can get in touch with us via mail at weirdwackywonderful.co.uk and all we ask in return is that you stay weird, weird wacky, wacky and, and wonderful. wonderful.